0: Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Veth, and I'm joined by Andrew. Andrew in Siberia. How's it going over there? Um, it's transfer window time. It's a time that I sort of enjoy in the beginning and then I really start hating. How do you feel about this?
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that pretty much mirrors my, my feelings exactly, Manu. Right I was just about to say, describe the same way. I'm, I'm getting confused, um, intrigued, and then I tell myself, no, stop being intrigued, it's the same old transfer news being peddled, but then, yeah, otherwise enjoying the madness, um, but uh, yeah, looking forward to yet another historical podcast on um, on football, That it should be a good one today, um, so yeah, it's kind of odd really, we're looking at current immediate transfers and then talking about history in the same one, so it should be fun.
0: Yeah, ideally, Tim, we didn't, don't want to do a, pod, a podcast about transfers ever because they're kind of stupid. But, yeah, Tim, how's it going? Are, are you, are you um, worried at all? I mean, one of the names that are now floating around is Quincy Promise, one of you guys. Are you worried at all?
2: Yeah, I am worried. Yeah. Like last week, I spoke that, uh, the Quincy most likely stayed and the situation has changed. And I actually want the transfer window to finish, so at least there's some kind of clarity. And he's probably like the biggest uh, change which could happen because, um, yeah, I, I'm worried. Yes, yeah, so I really want this to to be put to bed and um, so get ready to Athletic Bilbao game. Yeah, I mean,
0: Tim, other than that, all good? Just worries yeah. about Spartak as always?
2: Yeah, yeah, life is great, you know.
0: <laughs> That's good to hear. Well, boys, and... Let's jump right into this, shall we? Because we have a few things to take care of. Transfers, yes, it's January 30th. We have another day of this madness, boys. Another day. And then we can focus on what's really important, which is football. But um, I want to start with Dynamo Moscow. We've talked a lot about Dynamo Moscow on this transfer window, Tim. And they made more signings. Um, where's the money coming from?
2: See, I tried to do a little bit of research because yesterday we we discussed uh, the the topics for the for the upcoming for the upcoming pod, and we were start, we were kind of like there was a question where the money is coming from, and I tried to do the research, but um, to be quite honest, I just really looked at the money they spent, It's uh, it's not it's not that much money. It's 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 really like I think it was something a little bit over one point five million because. Constantin Rauch was the most expensive one, but two two other transfers was i think zero point four or zero point five million so it's not like we're talking massive money it's just uh really like they th- there's so- something happening because clearly you know like we discussed there's some there's some significant uh changes happening in Dynamo Moscow but uh, it's not like it's um you know like the, like in the past when the Rottenberg brothers came in and they just started buying like crazy and they were spending millions of dollars on different players uh it seems to me it seems like uh, maybe there's some changes happening but it's not something like dramatic and it's not like we will see Dynamo uh throw on cash left front and center
0: yeah, I guess so. I guess maybe this is just the normal, normal spendings. The only one that we kind of raised eyebrows for me was Konstantin Rausch because I don't, I know he's not coming for cheap, but, um, we were sort of saying that with Prokrapniak off, off contract, that would more or less pay for him and maybe a bit exactly. more, right? So, um, maybe that's really where the money is coming from. It's getting rid of, uh, players that were previously on contract and cost him a lot of money. So, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, there there's another uh, uh, player who is kind of being forced to leave the club. It's uh, Sapieta, who is on $2 million per year salary. And according to the rumors and some uh, press messages, uh, they also trying pretty much to ultimatum to tell him to leave. Or they they found something as stupid as Podrigan's story when he was kind of he's trying to be they trying to force him out because uh, he went to see Juventus uh, Inter game I believe it was Uh, so there's a similar story about uh, Sepeta which is something something as stupid which is really like nothing Uh, but they trying to force him out of the club or like just trying to force him to leave or trying to force him to to cancel uh, his contract. And, you know, just that just saves them, uh, four millions per year, mm. uh, on just so those two players. So this is the money which could be spent on purchase of new players.
0: Yeah. And that, yeah. that already is it for me. But yeah, so that's, that's the number wrapped up. I think, um, Andrew, do you want to add anything on this? I think the, the Teddy signing is the, the last really significant one that they have done, um, in the last yeah. 24 well,
1: hours. I mean, to, to be honest. To, to be honest with you, Manu, I think it's um, it, it all is a bit strange. Like like Tim says, the money, the amount of money isn't a huge huge amount in one sense, but relative to the debt that they have um, and the transfer fees they've been able to pay in the past, it does raise eyebrows. I I my guess possibly is I know VTB Bank made noises about. Being almost fed up with the lack of success for their investment and almost wanting to withdraw their support, but I'm always wondering whether they're thinking right you know what we'll throw a little bit into the transfer market right now, see what happens, and then if nothing improves by summer, then we really will pull uh pull the plug as soon as we can that's the that's the best guess I can come up with um but yeah, we'll have to wait and see but i it does seem a bit odd um but we'll see how the rest of the season pans out for them.
0: Yes, and speaking about art, and uh, Tim, this is actually kind of funny because you mentioned them as being one of those art clubs in Russian football at the moment. Um, Ruben Kazan, there is there is some banging around about financial fair play trouble, um, possibly sanctions to sign players. Um, what's the latest on that?
2: Well, like, uh, nothing really changed. They're trying to get rid of all those players, which we discussed, uh, the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, they've been successful. Like, we saw the, uh, they sold, uh, could you please remind me the last name of the guy they sold to Stoke Bauer? Yeah.
0: Yes, Bauer. Moritz Bauer.
2: Well, yeah, Moritz Bauer. So, he's already gone. Uh, they're trying to get rid of other players and, uh, some of them, are, it looks like even living for free, but just to get rid of their four to six million salaries, which is also a significant amount of money. And, um, and the only really like significant, interesting, um, player which they're getting is Podberezkin from Karasnadar, who is in a loan deal. So it's not a spending of money. So it's, uh, to me, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not even like the, the financial, um, financial issue it's only the ffp issue and um in in uh, rubin kazan related news it's funny how their coach who pretty much could be considered as fail uh, javi Grace in spain uh, be, uh was appointed as um coach of watford in england uh so again i think i, I found it's a really funny story that um you know the uh he, he said he said in the in the interview that in his opinion, the reason, uh, why he was not so successful at Rubin Kazan is because he had 14 different nationalities in the club and he had about five translators in, in, in the room when he was, uh, doing like any kind of explanation of, of setting up the game. So just imagine that. It's like, it was impossible for me to get across my ideas, uh, to the players because really it was all lost in translation between those five translators who really, so like I couldn't really make, uh, make, so that's kind of shows in which state uh, Kurban Berdichev really picked up Rubin? Mm. Lots of foreign players, complete mess in terms of like team uh, team building and uh, a real big danger of financial fair play. So there's a lot of work to be done.
0: Yeah, to be fair though, Grazia signed all those guys. <laughs> you know, I don't want to defend him too much because Casilla was responsible for signing all these foreigners in the first place. Uh, I remember doing an article on this and. Uh, it's hard. it's funny that he goes to Watford and says, this wasn't my fault. I had all these foreigners. I'm like, buddy, you signed them all. <laughs> you know, it's, that's, that's, but coaches, yeah, I fair. guess coaches always try to defend their, their ultimate failures. Um, we'll see how he gets on at Watford. Yes. Uh, let's, let's move over to our next piece of transfer. And that's, um, Nikola Maximovich to Spartak Moscow. We talked about this last week, Tim. Um, and it's finally done. We got a great piece up on footballgrad.com from, by, um, Milos Markovic, um, our Serbia, footballgrad Serbia expert. He's written this article and it looks like you guys, although he hasn't played very much for Napoli, you guys got a very good defender
2: there. Yeah yeah this is this is great news um like I wouldn't even more excited if I, it wasn't uh, for GK's injury uh but pretty much uh, it's kind of for now it is it's is GK replacement um uh, Tosky, uh, Serdar uh who has pretty much played the most number of games in the, that season um like excluding GK he He's still under question. Um, a club from Turkey is offering him a significant amount of money. So he might leave because there's still question mark about his contract. Uh, Salvatore Bacenki, Bacchetti, who is, um, renewed his contract, but at the same time, Massimo Carrera doesn't consider him as a number one mm-hmm. choice. And pretty much the, the whole strategy was to have a one. Uh, Russian young uh, player, uh, either Kutiepov or Jikia, and one little bit more experienced foreign player who used to be Baketi or Serdarski. Um, so it looks like now the pairing most likely um, could be Maximovich with Kutiepov, of course, depending on how how Maximovich will assimilate in in Russia. But it's a very good player. He has a very very good press, and he is. Um, it seems that like he is excited uh, to come to to Spartak. He didn't make any big promises. He says, listen, my, my my job is to be here and really to help the team in the next, um, he said, 13, yeah, 13 matches, mm-hmm. at least 13 matches. And he says, well, "Like uh, we'll see. Like, I'm not making promises that I'm here. Like, I'm on a loan deal. We'll figure it out in the end of the summer. But it's everyone uh, gives him lots of compliments. He is the player who can play a lot with the ball, who is a very technical central defender. And this is what Massimo Carrera is looking for. So uh, it's a great signing. Um, like I said, the only, the only issues, like that kind of came in, 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 in substitute for GK. Um, but yeah, there's nothing you can do at this point.
0: Yeah, I guess that's just the reality. I mean, to do add to the Tusky thing. Werder Bremen are also interested, Tim. Yeah. Um, so that's another club. Of course, Tusky is, uh, was born and raised in Germany. He actually played for Germany, I think three or four times. So, um, there's a link back to Werder Bremen, of course. Um, he went to Bayern on loan a year, two years ago. Um, and that didn't work out very well for him. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, Andrew, I'm going to go with you on this. Quincy promised to Southampton. Um, what's the latest on that?
1: Well, the latest I've heard about it today is that they're getting pretty close, but there's still, there's still a sticking point about. It. A clause in in promise contract whereby he's guaranteed fifteen percent of any deal, and I think that's what Southampton are, are stalling at. And they they offered about twenty seven million. Um, his release clause, I think we've we've covered this before, is around thirty. So they're pretty close to the release clause, but not quite there. But if they do, they would then have to also pay another four and a half million to to promise himself. I think it's. I'm I'm really on a knife edge as to what I think about this, whether I think it will happen or not. I think it's, um, I think it's quite likely because we know what English clubs are like on transfer deadline day. They, they cave under the pressure and, um, and, you know, Sparta know they've got money. The problem, the question is whether Sparta actually want to sell them. Of course, they don't, they don't want to lose promise, of course, but will they think this is the time to cash in on him? Um, it's, it's very hard to call really because it depends how desperate Southampton get. Um, so, yeah, at the moment, that looks like the, the only, well, I, I say the only likely, at this late stage of the English transfer window, which closes tomorrow, of course, um, that looks like where Promise would go if he goes. Um, I, I want I don't know what I want him to do. I'm not sure Southampton's a big enough club for him, to be quite frank. So, personally, I think I'd rather him stay and move in the summer, if, if at all.
0: But he's only going to be on loan there to Liverpool. hmm <laughs> 'Cause everyone will place for Southampton actually. Well, yeah, goes to that's level.
1: true. I mean, uh, in a sense, Liverpool will probably be quite watching this one quite closely, won't they? Um I mean I mean, half jokingly aside, um, it actually from purely from a selfish point of view for Liverpool fans, they will probably be thinking they hope he does go to Southampton for that exact reason. <laughs> um, you know, give him a betting in period. But uh no I, it I I speak as an outsider. Tim, of course, is emotionally attached. and I, I, Part of me wants to see him stay because I think he's better off at Spartak for the time being. Um, and at this stage, I don't really want to panic buy from a bigger club because they might not be thinking it through with him in mind. They might think, oh, we just want another player for our squad. Um, so, yeah, uh, Southampton is on a knife edge. We'll see how desperate they get, really.
0: Yeah, I, I think Southampton is one of those really well-run clubs. So I, I could see them passing on if they don't think this is the right deal for them. But, uh, Tim, they, Spartak have more or less a replacement lined up already. And Sofiani Honey from RSC Anderlecht. Um, Belgium, I believe, with, uh, an Algerian background. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting player. He's, he scored, I think he scored, um, two goals on his last match for Anderlecht before signing, before doing his medical in Rome of all places for Spartak. And, um, it seems like that deal is more or less wrapped up.
2: Yeah, it looks like based on uh, all the, like, actually, like we were talking yesterday and we were, me and you were hoping that when we will wake up, uh, the deal will Confirmed, but it's not uh, confirmed yet, uh, official, not officially, but again, like it says that he've um, finished his medical in that uh, clinic in Rome. Um, looks like everything went fine and it's, uh, says that today or tomorrow that he will sign a 3.5 3. plus one deal. Three and a half years plus plus five deal. Um, he's twenty-seven years old, so he is in his uh, prime. Uh, to be quite honest, I don't, I didn't really see him play. I've seen, I think, a couple underleft games, but I didn't really uh, notice anything special about him. Uh, but uh, that doesn't really, it doesn't really makes me any any worried because when Quincy Province arrived, I had no idea who he was. And look at him, he became one of the best players in Spartak's history. So I was, I was scouting, scouting is Generally, they they make really wise decisions, especially when Fidun is about to spend a lot of money. They really wait it out. So if this is the player they 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 decided to buy, then it, it should be it should be a, a good purchase. Uh, that kind of puts on on a big question mark uh, for Evgeny Popov's uh, future in Spartak because. Uh, it seems to me uh, that Sofyan Hani plays in a similar position. Uh, he is a foreigner. Evelyn Popov is a foreigner. And we also already heard rumors about um Evelyn Popov potentially maybe going on loan to Rubin Kazan. That didn't work out. Uh, but it uh, looks like, yeah, it could be a replacement uh, for Evelyn Popov, who doesn't really play that much. And I'm, I'm sure I don't think he's too happy with that. Yeah, Eight
0: goals and six assists so far in the Jubilee Pro League. For Sofiani, yeah. honey, honey, that's that's very good for an attacking midfielder. I think um of course if he would add something significant if promise stays, uh, whether he's a replacement for promise, they don't exactly play the same position. So that's yeah. that's maybe a question mark. So we can uh, for those Southampton fans who who are listening to this and are all excited, it's like, Yeah, they already signed a replacement. I'm like, no, I don't think that's it. I don't think no, that's no, that's, no, that's no. a so, replacement for him at all. Like,
2: no, no, yeah. no,
0: no. They're two very different players. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll see, I guess. Like, how... It could
2: be a replacement, but you have to move other players, not Quincy Promise. Yeah. So, like, if, if Hani will be, like, if, if this promise transfer happened, it will, um, he will be replaced not by Hani. He will be replaced by other players, possibly Roman Zobnin or Alexander Samedov, players of that category, not Safian Hani. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll,
0: we'll, we'll, we'll see, because if, if the Southampton, um, deal does happen, it's not a lot of time to, um, to replace promise when you think about it, because the transfer window closes, yes, tomorrow. So yeah, it's, it's a tricky one for me. I can almost, almost see maybe this deal being pushed back to the summer. Um, as, as kind of a reaction to the fact that, you know, you wouldn't be able to bring anyone in in time. So, uh, I guess we'll see. Um, but yes, boys, Um, it's, it's almost happening Uh, as, as we're recording Pierre and Mike Aubameyang is in London and this made set in motion, the biggest avalanche of forwards moving around in Europe. And one of those players involved could be Fedor Smolov, Andrew, (laughs) I feel like I need to go with you because you have been banging the bar, the drum on Fedor Smolov going to a big European club. For some time, yeah. Um, I have an article that just came out moments before we did this podcast on football whispers on Fido Smolov. The the latest is West Ham and Borussia Dortmund, um, but we really don't know because someone posted on Twitter yesterday how what kind of is stopping the Aubameyang transfer, and it's it's hinging on I think four or five other forwards that are currently on the transfer market, and um, so I feel like once. Everything over me and goes, it will be kind of like click, 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 click. All these pieces falling into place. So, uh Fyodor Smolov to West Ham, yes or no, Andrew? And is this a good uh, move, or should do you rather want him to see to go to Borussia Dortmund?
1: Um, my heart says please, 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 Fyodor, don't. But my head says I actually, I actually think I can see him going to West Ham because I'm not entirely convinced that. But Dortmund are, are overly convinced by Smolloff himself. Um, it makes sense, though, you know, like we've discussed before, it's a low risk option for for Dortmund in the short term, at the very least. Um, he's very experienced, obviously, he's in great form, he's very versatile, he's played out wide for large parts of his career. Um, I don't know exactly how Dortmund used Alba Mayang, but I know that Smolloff complained at least to. Um, forward positions very, very comfortably. So I'd imagine it wouldn't be too difficult for him to, like I say, at least in the short term, plug a gap. Um, he's got his uh, his friendship with Yarmolenko, of course. Um, he knows him. So you know, it's, it makes a lot of sense. But I, I mean, the, my impression is that um, that Smoloff is after a move that will get him attention, and I think he realizes that West Ham is going to be a bigger player in a slightly smaller pond, and I, I, I think. I just get the gut instinct. That's the way he's leaning. He deserves a big club. Um, if he went to Dortmund, I, 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 I love the guy. He's a he's absolutely fantastic. I'm not sure quite how much of a starring role he would play. Perhaps he would, but it would be a bit of a risk. And and I think he may be starting to get worried that he'll miss out altogether. So, West Ham are they're a they're a, a crisis club when it comes to signing forwards. They've I don't know the exact numbers, but I think it's in the last ten years they've signed something like thirty five forwards it's It's just absolutely mind boggling how poor they are and but how quick they are to sign new ones so they've got money, and the amount of money being talked about is not very high mm. um about between fifteen million pounds, twelve to fifteen million pounds is absolutely nothing in today's market so Ah, uh, gut instinct. If I really have to, you know, put a gun to my head, I'd say, I think it might happen. Um, West Ham are the sort of club who would make a knee-jerk reaction and they would probably, you know, they would splash out the extra five, 10 million, whatever it will take. Um, but tomorrow is the last chance. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. Maybe to add to this, Andrew, um, the news today, this morning is that, uh, Andre Yamolenko is out with a long-term injury at Dortmund and that they're now looking at not only bringing in a striker, but a replacement for him as well. Um, for till um, the end of the season. Uh, so,
1: well, in in that context, then I well, logically, Dortmund really, really ought to be going after, and then, um, yeah, that that actually does put a a fairly significant um, uh, influence on the on the outcome. Well, I mean, Manu, you you know the Bundesliga better, obviously. Um, and I'd be interested to see what you hear from. You know, uh, Bundesliga sources over the next day or two. Yeah. I believe the transfer window in Germany closes at 5 p.m. Central European Time tomorrow.
0: Yeah, it's exactly. it's closed in exactly 24 hours, so I think you will fl- see a flurry of activities. Uh, so we'll have to put a big asterisk on this. Uh, some of these deals that yeah. we are talking now might be done. So let's 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 wait and see on this. We can discuss some of this maybe in more detail next week. Um, I think Andrew, you wanted to to uh, discuss Ahmed Musa potentially going to CSKA on a loan or is that done? It's done. It's done. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I it's... personally think that's I personally I think um that reminds me a bit of the Dumbia deal. Uh, sometimes a second time around is not the best best idea in the world. Uh, I remember when Dumbia came back. I believe it was from mm-hmm. Roma, right? To CSKA. Yeah. No one was happy about that in the end. Um do CSKA need Ahmed Musa? <laughs> yeah.
1: I think um, Manu I think you make a good point it's um, you c- coming back a second time is always risky the club he left was okay it was the, it was just starting to break up but it was still a, a much stronger team um, than it is now but having said that CSK are still they're fighting for Europe Moose is getting very little game time at Leicester um, so it makes sense in a way from him it's relatively low risk but Will he have the commitment to the club, perhaps, um, to, um, to really throw himself into it and try and, try and somehow earn a longer loan deal or perhaps even a permanent deal? Permanent deal to CSGA, I doubt it will happen because of their lack of money, but, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think it's, I think it's a great signing. Um, it's relatively low risk because he knows the club. He's well liked and, um, and they desperately need him.
0: Uh, Tim, thoughts? Because we've been talking about the strikers going to CSGA for a long time musa is the the proven player right they know what they're gonna get um is is this something that they the clubs could really could help say guy maybe even in this title race
2: uh definitely yeah because they need a striker uh, my only issue like i it's a good deal for everyone uh the, my personal a little bit of disappointment i'm i'm really um you know a little bit um disappointed that it didn't work out for Musa in in um in england. Uh, like, you know, he went to Leicester and it seemed like this is a perfect club for him because the way Leicester plays on those crazy counterattack running, it didn't work out for him. So that kind of a little bit makes me sad. And the other the other issue which I had because uh, Moh- Ahmed Moussa, he was at his best when he played for Leonid Slutsky. And uh, Ceska played a slightly different formation, 4-2-3-1. Uh, right now, uh, under Ganchirienko, they play, they play 5-3-2. And I'm not really sure... How Ahmed Musa fits in that uh, tactical uh, strategy? Like, I'm sure that Gancharenko, if they went for him, he has an idea how to use him, and given his class and knowing the team, and like big, like, like. Everything on this, um, uh, social media says, welcome home, welcome home. So that's the kind of the feeling, um, the player is getting. Um, but still, like, you know, I'm still, it's not like I'm not sure. I just still not fully understand how Ahmed Moussa will be used, but we will see very, very soon. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's, it's, it's a great deal for, for, for everyone. Uh, especially for Sky and Ahmed Musa, and I'm a little bit disappointed that didn't work out for him in England. But uh, we'll see. It's definitely good for them. And um in terms of title rest, race, yeah, but they don't really have a striker, so getting anyone decent is a good deal for them.
0: Yeah, they've been sort of playing with two half strikers for most mm-hmm. of the season, like
2: Zagoyev or like yeah. Alanari were strikers. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's, it's I think having actually someone. I
2: Verblum, remember when Verblum was their yeah. best striker? Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I mean, they have a,
0: they have a lot of talented young players up there, but you need a little bit of experience, I feel. Although you have to maybe caveat this, uh, Ahmed Musa is not an all-in-out striker either. He's more someone who comes, likes to come off the wing. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. Sometimes these players don't work out after a move because they don't have a clear position where you stick them. So it's going to be interesting to see um how he works out in Gontrenko's system. So, um, yeah, I'm curious. curious, And uh, he is, of course, eligible to play in the Europa League, which is good news for CSKA because uh, Leicester were not in Europe, right? So, um yeah, that sums up the deals. Uh, I think next week when we have an actual clear understanding of what happened, um, we can go into that into more detail because I think some of the things that we're talking about, they're happening as we speak. So, um, let's, let's put a, put a ca- lid on the kettle on that one and wait till next week and see what comes out. Um, boys, mm, another piece of news, um, really quick on that because we don't know the full application of it either. Um, U.S. Putin list, um, is the headlines this morning. Yeah. There is a list of oligarchs that are associated 114 politicians and 96 oligarchs were we're of the so-called Putin list. Um people associated with Vladimir Putin and uh that could have potentially a potentially I'm saying really potentially had an influence on the US election. Um yeah. Putin called this a hostile step. Now I'm mentioning this because there is a bunch of names on there that also in football, uh your the Spartak owner Leonid Fodun is on there. Osmanov, Arsenal, maybe Everton owner, right, Andrew? Um, Abramovich, Ribololev, <laughs> yeah. a, a bunch of names associated to football. I guess um, the, the article in the Guardian suggests that this is not sanctioned, but it could cause problems dealing with European banks in the future. Now, what do we make of this, boys? Um, Tim, thoughts?
2: i 'm confused, I have no idea what this means, honestly, like uh, as much as I want to right i, I don 't know look so this is the list of wealthy people in Russia, which like when you they're the wealthy. I don't know how the, like, this is some kind of, like, deep politics, and it's not, like, an obvious politics. It's kind of insider's politics. So I don't know. Like, to me, like, the only person who I care on this list is, uh, Leonid Fidun because he owns my favorite football team. And I hope he, he's not g- gonna go out of money for some weird reason. And, uh, I, you know, what's the, okay. So they created the list of oligarchs. Not like those people were, like, unknown. They usually make some Forbes lists. So, too, I have no Maybe idea. Maybe the what
0: Forbes this is. list was used as the example list.
2: Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like pick all the Russian people from the Forbes list and create a U.S. Putin list. Oh, smart move. I can do that as well. The I Guardian, can
0: a, the Guardian called this a shame list. Is this this the right word? Shameless. It's like yes, these people are associated to Putin. I mean, we knew this.
2: Well, yeah, like, all like most of not look like, most of people with money are associated with Putin and Russia. That's how just the country works. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's just like a, a big revelation that um, that Putin, uh, that let's say Leonid Fidun sometimes talks to to Putin, and he's they somehow associated because Leonid Fedun works for the company which controls a big par- a portion of uh, oil in Russia. Same thing goes to like other, other, other people. I don't, I don't really see why, why this is like such a massive breaking news. If this leads, if this list leads to something and there's some sa- kind of sanctions or that somehow affects those people, then okay, then there's something to talk about. About writing a, a list in a Word document in a Times New Roman, I don't think that's such a big news.
0: Okay, well, we'll leave it at that. Tim. <laughs> Tim, I think that's, that sums it up very well. I don't think we need to add any further. Um, but Tim, I'm going to stay with you because you got a really cool question on Twitter by one of our listeners, Michael Smith. And he said, you have, um, scenario, you have been appointed to reform the former Soviet top league as the football Grad top league, choosing only sides from the former USSR. Which 18 modern day sides would you pick and why? And because you were asked this question, I'm gonna go with you first, and I think we can all add a little bit here and there. But you have had very quickly a list of clubs in your head.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That was a very interesting question because actually I've been thinking for that from time to time, and and like especially when we talk uh, on football grad, when we talk about Russian league, uh, Ukrainian league, and we talk about success of Karabakh and Astana in the, in in European competitions, you always think, okay, how? And we talked about this in the past what kind of like ussr team it could have been in uh, nowadays given that like in the past we had players like Kaladze, shevchenko the, the the real like uh, yermolinka all the world uh pretty much top stars and the, just thinking of how strong the um, soviet uh Vysha liga could have been or the ussr team and that the question is interesting um the question is really it's 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 a question which you need to answer in a given time because like when i started putting the list together I was thinking, OK, so we're not we cannot really talk about the whole 20 years after the Soviet Union uh, broke up. We kind of have to talk to it uh, to in the moment right now, because as we know, the financial situation of um, post Soviet clumps is very, very volatile. We have a team like uh, Dnipro who used to play in, in the Europa League final, and now, now they just pretty much don't exist in the same capacity as they used to be. Uh, the former Russian champions, um, Alanya Vladikovkas, who used to be the, the champion of Russia and played in Champions League, this club doesn't exist anymore. So we have to talk, kind of talk to it now, and uh, my I compiled my list in really in this given moment. So I would take um, f- uh, six clubs uh, from Russia, that will be Spartak, Zenit, CSKA, Lokomotiv and Krasnodar and Dinamo Moscow. Then uh from Ukraine I picked just Shakhtar and Dinamo Kiev. and then I went to BATE, who is like the biggest, uh, longest running champion in Belarus, uh, Astana from uh, from Kazakhstan and Karabakh, uh, the last two clubs has been doing well in Europe. And so I don't have the full 18 clubs, uh but th- those were my picks. So what, what do we guess? Who do you guys would like to add to the list?
0: <laughs> I know someone's heart just slipped there for a moment because you left one team off the list there, right, Andrew?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you haven't added Ural to the list. Um, they, they should have, uh, absolutely been a historical uh, <laughs> <laughs> not, not like, uh Liga club. Um, actually, you know, Tim, you, you, um, you picked the exact same clubs uh, that I had. Um, I picked oh, as sorry. well. And I missed uh, Rubin Kazan. Sorry. That, that's
2: my bad. Yeah. yeah. Rubin Kazan.
1: Well, you know, I, this is this is a thing. I thought it was a really interesting question. Fascinating question. Mm-hmm. Because the temptation nowadays is to go mostly with Russian clubs simply because they are the strongest clubs left, more or less, other than Shakhtar um, themselves. Um, so I tried to limit how many Russian clubs I was going to suggest but um, yeah I, I went for Bate as well for their European exploits um, I thought I thought uh, Kairat um, in Kazakhstan would be interesting mm-hmm. simply because they've got some money behind them at least um, and um, Karabakh I wanted because simply because of the history behind them and the you know what it would mean to them you know, I know obviously we're talking entirely hypothetically but um, being, uh, being a displaced team that they are, and they, they've shown improvement on the pitch as well, so I think they would add something, they'd add some flavour. Um, I threw in D- Dynamo Tbilisi simply for the name, really, um, because I think if you were going to, and again, obviously, hypothetically, recreate this, you've got to have some history behind it. I chose Dynamo Moscow for this reason. On mm-hmm. quality, yeah. they are not really qualifying there, but they have a name. The, the history behind them—that's what, in my eyes, made the Vichai League as such a such a great league. There was so much history behind it. Um, so I, I went for those, and actually, a bit like Tim, I, I ended up with about sort of thirteen or fourteen teams that I was fairly comfortable with. And it was really hard not to just simply look to the Russian Premier League for the rest. So, um, man, I'm going to look to you to finish off the list here for us. Um, what three or four more teams would you? Add um, possibly outside Russia if if you could.
0: Yeah, I would add Soya Luhansk, who have done very well in Europe, um, and actually have won as uh, Voroshilovgrad have won the Soviet Vyshaya League back back in the 70s. So I would add them as maybe the third Ukrainian team. Uh, Dinamo Tbilisi I had on on the list as well. Same with um, Kairat. uh Kairad because of the money, but Cairo also has the history as that Soviet team. So I definitely have them on the list. The police actually have the infrastructure and the money. It's just that they're competing in a league that's not competitive. Uh, so that's, that's been hurting them. So I would definitely, I think they, they need to be on there. Um, I almost wonder if Azerbaijan could also handle Neftchi Baku. You know, they need, need the team in the capital and a team that's, um, not on the list um that's not been on the list on with video of you guys is um a team from Tashkent. Um yeah. you know, there's of course Bunyokto, the team that was created after the fall of the the Soviet Union in Uzbekistan has a lot of money, but then there's also Pachtakor, right? A team with a lot of history. So if you go Central Asia, um those are names that I would in- include as well. Um in the rest of the post Soviet space it's a it's a little tricky um because You ideally would want to have a team in the Baltic, in the Baltic countries as well, but their football is very much non-existent. But, um, neither of you guys have mentioned Sheriff Tiraspol. There's, there's a team that's run really well. Um, and is doing very well in, in uh, Moldova and has a significant financial backing. So that's another team that I would, would throw in the mix and would give it a bit of more of an international, international flavor. And then, um A second team maybe from Belarus, Dinamo Minsk, because they have uh, in recent years made some significant investments as well. So that's another team that I would add to the list. And I think then we're pretty close already.
2: It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right?
0: I mean um just trying to think should we should we try, yeah. to, try to try to put together a list so let's uh let's start with yours, um uh Tim how many teams do you have right now you have Spartak Zenit CSKA Loko, uh, Krasnodar Shakhtar so, Dynamo Kiev Bate Dynamo Moscow Astana Karabakh right
2: Yeah so seven from Russia mm-hmm. two from Ukraine so that's nine uh but uh, Astana Karabakh that's 12 so I agree with Sharif. Sharif is a good very good. So that's that's thirteen, right? Yeah. And and Zarya Lugansk is fourteen. And um Dynamo and t- then Jan t- yeah, Velisi fifteen. Well Dinamo Minsk would be sixteen, and then Pachtakor and Kairat, let's say. Eighteen teams. That's good. That's good. I think that would That be... will be a brilliant tournament.
0: I would say so too. A very nice international tournament. So I guess if we would have to recreate a football grad um, post-Soviet League, that would be it. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I, I would watch it. I, I could also see there would be a significant amount of money in that league.
1: Cause well, you know, I was just going to say, you know, man I think that's a very good point. And I'm pleased both of you um, also mentioned clubs that perhaps don't quite have the long-term history but have the money because you can't ignore it. And they would they would develop with that sort of interest. In a league like that, the extra attention, they would grow. And I think that would be an important part of it to make it a success. I think the um Pacto or Bunyodko would be, they would have a lot of ground to catch up. But like you say, if they became the focus of, An entire nation within the Viseo Liga, they would they would have that momentum there. I think
2: so. It's funny how like this is returning it exactly to what we talked on the uh, Soviet Pod. Remember when we spoke about that when we had republics and republics had one team and that one team was the top. So like we're talking exactly the same. So we applying the Soviet Viseo Liga strategy to this Liga. So yeah, makes sense.
0: Or it would be the same with Dinamo Tbilisi. I can I can put money on it right now that if Dinamo Tbilisi would be playing in that league, that stadium in Tbilisi would be sold out every game. You see it with the national team right now when you play against the big countries. That stadium is is goes wild. So you almost you know you almost think that going for a league like that for like a national league, an international league, Soviet league, that would <clears throat> generate a lot of interest. So yeah i i i personally i'm a big fan of the of this idea i know that there is political issues and we've said we cannot ignore them between ukraine and russia and some of the other post soviet republics but boy oh boy this league would fly uh i i i would i would definitely get any subscription in the world the television subscription in the world to to pay for that to watch it because i think it would just it would be significant and it would improve the the football in the region uh quite a lot as well so I, I, love, I love this idea of a post Soviet league. And it's funny because when <laughs> boys last week was actually the five year anniversary of, uh, of a, a football grad, um, a Facebook, you know, how Facebook sends you these messages yeah, with yeah, pictures. Yeah. Well, I, I always remember exactly when the anniversary is, uh, of football grad, um, because I was in a hospital bed when I wrote my first football grad article recovering from my ACL injury. <laughs> so every year I get this picture sent to me um for well, from my knee in a state that I do not want to describe on here and um lying in a hospital bed and I actually took this picture while I was writing the article <laughs> that was the 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 rebirth of the Soviet Vyshaya Liga. so that's on football ground it's a, in the very back because it's I think it's only the second or third article on there because there was a couple other guys that we founded football ground with um that also had a couple posts there before so it's in the very back it's the only the third article written on the entire page my first article written for it uh, so it's funny that we, we got this question pretty much on the 5 year anniversary of football Grad, because it, it's a really cool topic and i think it's maybe something that we will bring up um as an article um now that we have a list in our head uh, maybe we'll do a little article featuring those 18 clubs um it's it's a very good topic in general um Tim, anything else you want to add to the football grad Soviet League, post Soviet League?
2: Well, I'm just saying, like it, it would have been like exactly, it would have been a great uh, tournament. Uh, uh, the one thing I, I led, just uh, practically impossible. This is this will never gonna happen because of so many political issues between Russia and Ukraine, and that's unfortunate. Uh, because there was, I think, before the Russia-Ukraine conflict, there was. Uh, remember how uh, Gazaev uh, was trying to get. Russian and Ukraine super league. And he spent so much time talking about it. And in the end, nothing really happened. Uh, but that would have been again, a great conflict, a great, a great league. But then that conflict uh, happened. So unfortunately, it's all like everything we, we're talking is super mega hypothetical. It's it's nice to dream because we're just doing podcasts and we're doing this for fun. It's not like we're proposing this league to happen. Uh, but uh, like I said, uh, the USSR team and that league would have been definitely... Then we will be talking not two top five leagues in Europe. We will be talking top six leagues in Europe.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, there's actually a football manager um, mm-hmm. safe that you can play uh, as a post-Soviet league. It's a lot of fun. So I want to wanna put that out there. There's an article actually on footballgrad.com as well on someone who played this league and then wrote an article for football grad i think two or three years ago it's a really good article still a good read and how these teams would look like if you if you play them a football manager so if you really if you're really into this kind of stuff uh, go to football manager um, check out that league the soviet league the recreation of the soviet league and uh, it's a lot of fun to play because uh, one of the things that they have actually put in place in this league is that you you can only sign a certain amount of foreigners and, um, European white so that you don't lose all your best talents all the time. And it's, it makes it very spread out, like very evenly. Um, it's a parody, a lot of parody in that league. So it's, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, if you, if you are further interested in this kind of concept, uh, I suggest going over there, but boys, we're getting a lot of questions these days. I, I'm really, really excited about this. So we got an email by someone named Regal Calcio. Uh, I assume this is a nickname. Um, and they, this person sent us a question about number tens, uh, or creative players such as, um, Fedor Cherenkov, David Kipiani, Leonid boya Korin Organizian, Igor Dopolovsky, Yuri Gavrilov, Alexander Savarov, who we actually talked about last week, Alexander Mostoy, um, just to name a few. And, um, to a comparison, to chess, um, where the flair of players like Michael Attal, Paul Keres, Victor Korchnoi, and many others, um, will remain within the pantheon of the most technic players at the time. Now, this is, this is a fantastic question. And Tim, these are magical number tens, all of them that are on this list. And in some cases, like Tavi Kipiani, for example, a number 10 that played within a very regimented Soviet football style, right? And this link between chess and football, um, you see that in in some ways. But for me personally, chess is a very regimented sport as well. You, yes, you need a lot of creativity, but at the same time, you need to you you don't have as much room for chaos as you have in football. Um, but it is, there is a link between chess. And football, and I mean the latest example is Henrik michitarian right, who actually is an avid chess player, an Armenian who plays chess. So this is this is a fantastic question, isn't it, Tim?
2: I love I really like this, uh, this question. I never thought of that. That's why I really appreciate this just uh, thought that yeah, the 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 Soviet ch- uh, culture was. Kind of connected to the brilliant number tens we produced it's hard to say just really like for me like if 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 number tens was really a position which um, Soviet players were good at, but literally we had so many great uh, number tens um i'll just talk a little bit a little bit about chess because the reason chess is a really popular game in russia it's I in school had an actual class on chess we had we had a chess class. In, in the first couple of years, and then you can take it as, a, like, an extra class. But really, like, they taught us how to play chess. The, the game is big in Russia. Like, and when I moved here to to Canada, and just, like, even if you mention chess, people think that you, like, you know, that you kind of playing some kind of, like, weird games and like it's definitely not 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 on the same level of popularity in russia and uh there there has been uh, russian players always have been really really strong players in that and um i'm not sure if like all those number 10s which we just listed have played chess and are fans of chess that that that's that's unknown but the the fact that we had like the soviet union and even russia had so many brilliant number 10s is just it's unavoidable um, I still, like, obviously, like, mm-hmm. Fedor Cherenkov is the best player in Spartak history, or maybe the most, the most, you know, the most attacking, the most flirty player we had in, in, in Spartak history. But then also players like, uh, Alexander Aleksandr Mostavoy, Igor Dabrawolski, Ilya Symbalar, um, Igor Redjakov, Andrei Petnitsky, I'm just going by, you know, by Spartak's players. Um, it's just, it's just like, it's, it was really, really a position which, Probably had the most number of, uh, of players, um, in, in Soviet Union. So it's a inter- very interesting observation. I'm not sure about the link and connection, and I just don't know enough about it, but it's definitely a, a, a very interesting approach to looking at, um, at the Russian culture and the Russian connection between sports.
0: Yeah. I think it's very interesting that uh, this is, this is something we, we One example, one of the players on there is, um, Savarov, right? Who then went to, Went from Dynamo Kiev to Juventus Turin. And he's an interesting one because um he played in that Dynamo side that was very regimented regimented under Igor uh, under not Valeri. Igor uh, Valeri Lobanovsky. Sorry, thank you Tim. Um and yet he was still able to have the creativity on the pitch which is which is I think is very fascinating that the the system allowed for these players to exist. Because there is a lot of number 10s, and everyone had that magical number 10. And um there's actually one player that's not on the list, right, Andrew? And that's Kanchelskis, someone that you recently interviewed. And I feel like he really well fits on that list, too. And another player, of course, and I mentioned him already, is Michitarian, who's also not on the list. And with David Kipiani, we have a Georgian. And with mm-hmm. uh, Korn Oganesian, we have an Armenian on on this list as well. So this is... This seems to be something that's very cross-Soviet Republic, because this is, when you look at this list, yes, they're all Soviet players, but when, when you actually, when you actually go to their backgrounds, to their individual backgrounds, they come from all over the Soviet Union. And Kanchelsky's is another one. I believe Kanchelsky was a Lithuanian Russian, which, who was born in Ukraine and then chose to play for Russia, right? Um, correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Well yeah. yeah, his his parents, his his father was his father was Lithuanian and his and his mother was um was Ukrainian. Um and yeah, no, I mean I have a personal interest in Kanchelskis himself because he played for my my club, Manchester United. And for me the fact well I say the fact, there were so many around that era, weren't there? The, from when the Soviet Union broke down who you know just before the late 80s the early 90s who flooded over to european clubs but Konchelskis was one of the was one of the first um to make the make an impact uh, so lastingly well anyway um and he he always talked about when he was a young boy when he was 13 when he was 14 he went away to a a sports boarding school in in kharkov and um and his his coach there was was exceptionally strict on fitness was extremely important. But when it came to actually playing, he he said, Look, you've got you can you can play with the ball, you can think with the ball. So think. Don't you know don't be told what to do the entire time. And Kinchelskis was such a strong minded player. He was very independent. And I think this is one of the fascinating things about some of the great Soviet sides that, you know, you meant the Lobanovsky Kiev is the the clear example of what most people view as a scientifically calculated team. And yet it only worked by, like you mentioned, Manu, creating a framework within which there had to be a creative spark. Otherwise it would just simply be, uh, it would be, it'd be 11 athletes. There had to be that creativity. Um, and Kocelskis was one of those. The link to chess. I know that Kocelskis does play chess and when he moved to Manchester United, I don't know how often, but um I know Sir Alex Ferguson is a big um chess player. He likes to he likes to have evenings where he slows down a glass of wine, plays chess, and thinks carefully about the game. Um and I think the fact that they appreciated each other is is no coincidence. Um so I think oh, what a great question, by the way. I love I love that link. Um I love the idea of Creativity within a system, because for me, that's Mm. one of the defining characteristics of, of Soviet football. Um, and Kucharsky is certainly a, one of the more recent examples anyway, at least.
0: And it's, it's interesting that this doesn't, this didn't just apply to, to football, because there's also that same, when they, when the Soviet Union created the very successful red machine hockey program. And there's, there's, a documentary called the Red Machine, right? On the, the Red Army hockey team that basically formed the core of the, the Soviet, um, hockey program that was so very successful. Um, possibly the most successful hockey program in the world. And I say this as someone who lives in Canada. And this entire system was built very much on, on every player we're playing in the collective. But at the same time, they had the most creative player on the planet when the system became its most successful in Valery Kalamov, who they even made a movie out of, right, Tim? Because yeah. he, um, a very successful movie as well, which i seen um, as part of when I learned Russian uh, in Kiev. We actually went to see this movie because it was a blockbuster in the post-Soviet space. And it was a fascinating movie because he has a, he has a fascinating life. Uh, he died very young, unfortunately, the age of um, just 33. But he he fits into that kind of mold, this understanding that the collective only works if you have creative individuals propelling it. And um, I find this other link with chess very fascinating. You saying you played chess in school, Tim. Um, actually, when I first came to Canada, um, I was one of the many Europeans um, going to school as a 17-year-old in high school here at Bekai. And um, my dad and I played chess when I was a kid. So there was a Russian kid who very quickly became my best friend. And we would sit down every lunch break and play chess. Oh, wow. And uh, it was very frustrating at first because he would beat me. He For <laughs> the first six months in that school, he would beat me every game. And but um, I got closer and closer and closer and closer until around Christmas time, I finally won a match and uh, it was very satisfying but it's it's interesting how because chess is something that you can learn right it's it, it's a, it's a sport that has theory and yeah. um it does acquire a little bit of creativity at the same time and a quick mind so you need you need to have that collective approach and you need to have the the ability to make quick decisions um with the pieces that you have on the field so I, I make sense that that this link exists, um, and it's it's something when you look at it, and it's, I find it interesting that you say people looked at it as a strange sport. Yeah, I, 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 we, we probably were a little strange sitting there, and, and while everyone else was playing computer games, etc., playing chess yeah. against each other. But it's it's something that really does does sharpen your mind in quick decision making times, right? And I mean, you played football as well, and I, I feel like when you when you see all these pieces moving, when you have the ball, you, all you see is pieces moving around you and it helps you make the right decision really quickly, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, exactly. It's just the, like, I definitely see that link in terms of, uh, between, uh, between chess and uh, the number 10 position because, yeah, you have to be a part of the team. You have to be structured. You have to understand how the game works. But at the same time, quick decisions, uh, which 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 you know the number 10s make and uh those are i think is similar to chess because like yeah when you see uh maybe a potential little mistake in the opposite structure in in you know a player you who you're playing against in chess then you fairly quickly start utilizing it and you need to really to see have a sharp mind to analyze and to find out those 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 flaws and the same in football so like yeah like, you know, most of the teams they they know how to defend, but then somebody makes a quick mistake and then opens up uh, for a beautiful pass. And this is what number tens are usually known for. So yeah, that that licks, uh It makes sense. It's really good observation. But our listener and it's like I never even thought of that. But but funny how how really he he noticed that. So thanks. This really we really want to thank you for for that interesting observation. Keep them coming.
0: Yeah, I, I do think one other thing is that I went to, when I did my PhD, I went to Armenia and they actually have chess stadiums there. And it's, oh, wow. it's, it's really, it's, it's a kind of cool maybe that someone, I have made my piece with Henrik Michitarian. I want to make this public right here. Uh, Andrew and other people that have criticized me can breathe a sigh of relief. Um, he is a fascinating player in that regard because he does, does combine this. He's such a thinker. Which is maybe something that sometimes uh, is a bit of an obstacle for him too. But Andrew, I think, I think you have another one in mind when it comes to that magical number 10 chess connection.
1: Well, yeah, no, it's just the, it's what, it's what you, something you mentioned just now, actually, Tim, you know, you're saying about the, the quick decision making and it's just something I came across, um, Earlier this season, in fact, actually, you know, to bring it up to the, the modern day. Um, my my local club, <laughs> FC men, are, are struggling desperately. And the magical number 10s, we did have a magical number 10 about 10 years ago. And lo and behold, guess where he was from? He was from Georgia. Um, tiny little fella, Vladimir Godbhodashvili. And he was an absolute magician. I mean, he was, I, I think he honestly was literally five foot two, five foot three at the most. Slightest little thing could have been blown away by the wind. But the, the the speed of his thought was just absolutely incredible. And you know what I found out um, only this season was that the club actually employ um, not, not uh, it's not specifically chess, but they're on the same lines. They employ a local school that teach um, um speed reading, um, which is quite, a, it's become quite popular in recent years um, in it's certain in, in Yekaterinburg um as well, and it basically it, it, you have mental exercises on the page you've got to you've got to use your memory you 've got to read really quickly the different exercises that teach people to make decisions quickly just on a on a basic brain training mathematical exercises and they 've got the players doing this as well um, and and really was the player who had suggested the idea to them. And it it, it just cropped up to me now. Mm. Um, He was an absolute genius. This guy, third tier of Russian football, but a genius. And it was it's that appreciation of the speed of thought that I find fascinating. And now that we we are discussing it, now that we're aware of it, it seems so obvious, and yet so few teams, countries, cultures have really absorbed that and appreciated it. Um, it seemed quite astonishing. But yeah, it's it's not something that is that has died in the Soviet era. Certainly not.
2: Yeah, let me also add really quick one more story that, that that story reminded me of something, a video I saw on somewhere, I don't remember where on the Internet, but it was about an Italian player who was training and he was doing some football exercise and then he would take a break to solve a little like puzzle. And mm-hmm. then he goes back to doing like little passes and then he goes back and play like a very, very short, uh, qu- a quick game of chess and then do start doing the different exercise. So that was like a, a mix of doing a physical training and then doing something with your brain. So again, so like, yeah, this exists like that, that, that two main example and like this example. So this, this is, it's not probably the most popular. But maybe you know down the road in the sports in the sports science, especially when we're talking about you know like play, people's playing on a professional level, uh, that maybe will develop into something a little bit more bigger than just uh, an article on football God.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And maybe my closing thoughts on this, because we're almost out of time, is that Valery Lubonovsky, he made his pe- his, his players um, use computer programs, right, for quick thinking and nowadays is that uh, the big development in germany is with uh, clubs like hoffenheim and it's usually is the smaller clubs i mean this is a great observation by you too andrew because they have they they need to find an edge to be competitive right so usually it is the smaller clubs that come up with these technological invention hoffenheim came up with the football now, where um it's a it's a cage and then um the a ball is gets played to you from it can be played to you from all four sides right so it's a it's a it has all four dimensions basically in this cage. And, um, then on the four walls, a light flashes up and you have to play the ball to that light and it goes quicker, 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 quicker. The idea is, of course, that you, that you get, um, the, the problem solving right away and that you sort of simulate the combination of something like chess and football at the same time. And it's, it's interesting that we have that combination. So you can actually simulate something like chess. While playing football at the same time. So it's a great thing. I think the, the other last thing I want to say is magical number tens. Um, sadly, I think a little bit of a dying breed. It's something that we don't have that many of anymore. It's, um, unfortunately, I think we don't have that creative freedom anymore because everything is academy produced, right? Everyone knows how to triple, but these, these thinking, these players that, um stand aside a little bit because they also think a little bit different. Uh, maybe a little bit of a dying breed, but maybe that's a topic for another podcast. So sadly we have to wrap it up. Boys, um Tim Quick thoughts. What have you been up to? Um where can people find you? Etc. Floor is yours.
2: Um yeah, people can follow me on Instagram at the Rocket from Russia and then at um, Twitter Russian Tim sixty one. I can't wait for the um, for the um, transfer window to finish, so we can at least uh, have some clarity. And I've started watching a lot of Athletic Bilbao games and preparation for uh, Europa League uh, game uh, Spartak or Athletic Bilbao. And I'm getting a little bit worried because they are. I knew they were a good team, but um, the only hope they're not really in a good form right now. So uh, I'm getting ready for Europa League. It's going to be great.
0: Yeah, next week. That's the preview part. Well for yeah. European football. So it's something to look forward to. Andrew, um European football also means preview time. <laughs> Don't worry, the list is coming out soon. So but yeah, other than that, what have you been up to?
1: Um well actually today I've been trying to negotiate a bit of work um on the ground during the World Cup and I've been planning my itinerary for the for the month. Um it's only in the planning stages, but it's it's great fun to to, to think it through. And I'm hoping to get to about eight cities, I think. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I've been up to recently, but, um, more immediate future cannot wait to get my teeth into the previews, get back in, get back into the swing of, 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 of competitive football. It's, uh, it's been too long. Um, we, we've almost got there, guys. We've almost made it <laughs> and I can almost taste the Europa League already. So cannot wait. Cannot wait.
0: Yeah. And definitely, I think. I think the, the, this, I mean, this is the big giveaway. Um, football grad live will, will be focusing, of course, on the closing of the transfer window for the next 24 hours. And then we can completely focus on actual competitive football. So yes, next week, uh, the lists of the previews go out to the different writers. Um, I'll organize that next week and then the previews can be found. On the various networks, you, they, you can all find them at football Grad Live, but they will be on fußballstart.com and then footballgrad.com, depending on the teams that are playing. I'm excited. I, I love European competitions. I'm glad they're back. And, um, I can't wait to see, see the, the pieces fitting into place at the various clubs, the various transfers being made. And we actually can just then focus about talking football again. So yeah, next week's podcast, um, heavy focus on European football as well. Well, I've been your host. Manuel Weff, you can find me at Manuel Weff. And as I said, all the content at Football Grad Live. All the boys and girls, please leave us, leave us a rating and iTunes if you like what we do. Criticism is always appreciated as well. And please keep the questions coming. We love the questions. It's, it's good stuff. Keep them coming. Well, that's it for now. Until next week, dos verdanjen. <laughs>